Welcome to Outside the Box, a mental health initiative striving to end the stigma surrounding mental health. Hi, this is Outside the Box. On today's show, I'm in conversation with Adia Fadai. She is a White House and MTV mental health youth advocate. She's part of the 988 Suicide Crisis Counseling Center, a mental health promotion intern, and she's also a student. And I'm so excited to finally be in conversation with, with her. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and I'm very impressed by your work and your heart. So ecstatic to be here. Thank you. I say finally, because when I reached out to you a while ago, I think you were just coming off of going to the White House. You were super busy and I'm like, I'm going to circle back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have since gained a year of life. So I've turned 20 since then. And when I was, you know, 19 had just come from the White House. It was so exciting and a beautiful time, but also very hectic. Yeah. And I was starting my summer, starting my transition also to a new school. So mm -hmm. it was a lot, but I'm excited to be here now and I feel more settled now. So this is a perfect Amazing. timing. I want to um, have you share for us uh, your backstory because at some point, I mean, I feel like you started advocacy, what was it, 14? Was it a little later? Tell 14. Me about that. Okay. When I was 14, I began doing work with Teen Line. It is an LA based, but really national and international reaching crisis hotline for teens. And the reason I had first gotten involved with that was because I had never in my life heard of, and again, my life was 14 years, so not a ton of time, but still had never in my life heard of an involvement opportunity, an advocacy opportunity, and a support opportunity where youth were the audience, but they also were the people who were serving individuals. And that's what drew me to Teen Line. Teen Line is a peer-led system. It is research informed. It is professionally backed. We had intensive trainings. However, ultimately it was peer to peer. Right. And so that brought me to the world of mental health. And I did not know that when I was 14, I would be at the white house when I was 19. That was just never a thought. I also didn't know if I would go into this field and now I'm pursuing it professionally. Fantastic. So a lot of beauty has come out of teen line for me and teen line has now been acquired by dd hirsch which is the suicide prevention center i'm a part of Great. it's in los angeles and um fun fact it was the first suicide prevention center to ever be created in the country and kind of where modern suicidology began but teen line was the start of so many things for me but it was really a place that I was empowered and I was trained and I was equipped to learn about mental health, to learn about crisis topics, to then though go out into the community and be able to serve my peers. And through that, I had an indispensable experience and I just wanted to do this for the rest of my life. Fantastic. Do you know people that have struggle with mental health? Have you at all struggled with any issues? And I'm not crying, but I'm just curious because does it hit home as far as, you know, people, you know, you know, a lot of people go into the mental health space because they were touched by mental health, um, in their personal lives or with a loved one at the time when I was 14, I did not have personal experience or so I thought, mm -hmm. and actually it was teen line that made me realize that there might be something with mental health going on with myself. 
and maybe some loved ones as well. It was through that education, which is why I'm so big on mental health literacy, that I realized, okay, some of these behaviors I've been having since I was younger, I've thought them to be normal. And again, there's no such thing as normal. So kind of a weird concept to parse through. But I felt like this is weird, okay? I'm learning about this stuff in teen line. Maybe I should go to a mental health professional. And teen line is why I even started therapy. I would have never thought that I would need need therapy or want therapy if it hadn't been for teen line, which a provided education B removed the stigma. So Mm -hmm. I have been touched by mental health issues personally. And over the years, especially being in the mental health space, I've been able to have conversations that you don't typically have. I'm always having conversations with friends, family members, people who are strangers, even about mental health, about mental illness and about suicide. And that's something I love about being in this field is the way stigma is just eradicated and the way I'm able to, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, being in the space you're in, but once you open the conversation, once you even mention a title you have when this, within the space, someone opens up to you. The other day I was at boxing. I've been, I've been doing, um, mixed martial arts since I was four. And that's a whole other, that's that's another therapy (laughs) session altogether, but Um, lots of fun. And I was in boxing the other day and someone had asked me, oh, you weren't here last week. Where were you? I was like, you know, I was actually in Sacramento. And um, long story short, I had a beautiful, incredible opportunity of advocating for suicide prevention legislation at the state capitol last, um, like whenever it was, I can't do math. That's okay, but that's great. Okay. And, um, And then all of a sudden, um, once I shared that with him, he was like, oh, actually, um, you know, I have a, a related experience to this. And of course, that has to be done sensitively, right? And with boundaries. However, yes. just the mere fact of talking about what you're involved with in the, within the mental health space yes. is an outlet. And it's something that creates vulnerability amongst others as well. So mm-hmm. that's just a byproduct of being in this space that I didn't even yes. think would be a thing, but has become something I've been proud to be a um, recipient of hearing other stories. Well, you said a couple of things. First, you are very open about seeing a therapist, about things you've gone through. So I find, and I hear you say it, when you're comfortable being yourself and you're sharing your story, people relax and they're more apt to share their story or someone they know with a story And it becomes more of this relaxing, open conversation that we need to have. Vulnerability is powerful and it's contagious. So anytime you're vulnerable, that breeds vulnerability amongst another person because you're inherently creating a safe space. And when you create a safe space, there is work that can be done within that space. And it's, you know, um, private unless it doesn't, it needs to get further with help. Um, But it allows for people to have a sense of comfort that they don't normally have. Our society doesn't operate where you're just walking around the street or going to a coffee shop and talking about these vulnerable, yes. heart-pressing things. And people are really over it. We are done with inauthenticity. I think that yes. our generation, specifically my generation, has deviated from that in a way that has been important and incredible to see. I also think, though, on that note... It's important to also talk to a mental health professional. It's important to be vulnerable with what you would like to be vulnerable vulnerable about. So sharing your story, owning your, your story, and doing so in a way that is, you know, educational, that is stigma reducing mm-hmm. um, and barrier 
um, reducing as well. So that's where I'm big on mental health literacy, mental health languaging, making sure that if I'm going to share something, that it's something that I've talked about with a mental health professional. And it's also something that I've kind of vetted in terms of my languaging and that I'm sharing it with someone who I feel comfortable with. So I think when it comes down to it, we have to acknowledge those support systems and who we can trust and then also do education for ourselves and empower ourselves in that way. Um, But yeah, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And that's what I love. There's a lot. And by the way, thank you for sharing all that. There are a lot of students who have said to me, I wish adults would share their stories. I wish they would listen. I wish they would be more open because some students have told me how they've come out to their parents as trans. They're not embraced. They're asked to leave, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's crushing. Yeah. It's, it's hard and it's a hard reality as well. And being in the mental health space, I have been all over, right? So I serve a lot of different populations, um, whether that's in crisis intervention or with the nonprofit sector. But my specific focus and passion is really on the youth community. And something that is unique to the youth community is you are typically having legal guardians, right? You're having a family that you're typically with and the the people who are around you can be a support system, but they also can dissuade you from seeking help. And there's a lot with that, right? Mm-hmm. There's, it's multifaceted, it's complex. It can be really hard with treatment access. It can be really hard to talk about therapy. It can be really hard to even know that you might need to seek help. But ultimately it is so important that youth are heard, um, not just on a large scale, but also within their familial systems. Yes. That is a lot of times where youth go um, when they are in need of support. And so not Mm -hmm. having that safety is detrimental. It's destructive. And especially for someone, right, you were mentioning in the LGBTQ plus community, that can be very unsafe. Definitely. I also, um, it's interesting. I have these wonderful interns from UC Irvine that are uh, assisting me on outside the box, uh, growing our social channels and just with all the different things from podcasts to events. And, um, I'll say to them, if you are going through somebody, something, and you have no one to talk to, come to me. Um, and usually when I check in, I'll say, well, how are you? And, you know, you can tell when someone says, fine, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, really, how are you? And I, and I might be the only person that has asked that during their day. And it's really important um, to be aware of like nonverbal, as you know, and, um, one thing I want to touch on is you mentioned 988, or you were, you're still part of that, the crisis? Okay. So in the book that I have coming out, I was doing some research on policy policies and legislation, and I found it really interesting that that was po- passed very quickly. Okay. But I didn't know much about policies and, and how long things take, and it's so interesting how there are some great ideas that go you know, they go to the house, right? And it takes a long time. And then nothing happens, nothing. And I'm like, but that's so important. Mm -hmm. Why don't people have kids, grandkids, someone they know that is struggling and specifically anything mental health, I think should be expedited, but it's not. And that's so sad for our society. Absolutely. 
And you're obviously preaching to the choir here because 100% that's my focus in terms of legislation as well. I believe that mental health needs to be prioritized and not only does it need to be prioritized, but an essential part of stigma that we have to really draw out and identify to the public, especially legislators, is the stigma of mental health in policy even and how, you know, when we talk about mental health parity, we talk about um, equality with quote unquote mental health and quote unquote physical health. If you have a physical health bill, that's going to look a lot different and receive a lot different attention than a mental health bill. And mental health is health. We know that, but we also have to continue pushing that Mm -hmm. and educating all sectors of society on that so that when it comes to things like legislation, that our constituents are being prioritized. And when, when you prioritize mental health, something I was talking about at the state Capitol was the prioritization of suicide prevention legislation, the prioritization of mental health legislation, that is the prioritization of human life, human yeah. well-being, yeah. and prioritizing our humanness. Sometimes with my generation, we have a big distrust of government. We're like, where are you? You know, you have yes. this power and we're detached <clears throat> and you're disconnected and we feel unseen. We're not being heard. We're not being prioritized. And it's frustrating. And also, though, it is important to focus on the hope. I think that the hope-driven piece is that my generation is very impact-oriented, is very action-oriented. And that comes from that very intrinsic motivation that we all have to care about our well-being and also to care about the well-being of others. Yes. Such good points. Um, One of the things I want to say is growing up, I was a DF student and struggled with everything. And I tell students, okay, I see in the news, oh, academics, they're behind, they're behind. It will not predict your future. And I might like rile parents up by saying that, but it really, what's more important, their mental health or their GPA? Like you can just make yourself so stressed and so anxious over that GPA and those AP exams and not get into your dream college. And then where are you mentally, right? Because at the end of the day, really mental health is so much more important. And I'm, I'm concerned because of the impact of COVID on a pre-existing mental health crisis, which I call a mental health pandemic that we're in. What does the future look like for your generation, right? And that's why I, I love what your generation is doing, that you're so passionate about all of this. It's, it's so, so important. And lastly, when you see things in the news about gun violence and shootings, and and I watched the body cam footage of the police officers, I was crying. I thought the trauma on these young children to have to live through that experience that day will stay with them and they will need to go to therapy. In other countries, I think it was Austria, I forget, it's in my book. There was a horrific incident no more guns. Gone. What's going on? Like, why in this country are we not doing that? Yeah. 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 It's so complicated. And and what's hard, too, is these very complex topics have just become politicized. Yes. I think a lot of this has to be either, you know, nonpartisan or bipartisan. Yes. Or both. Even mental health, right, has become politicized. We often see yeah. one party prioritizing it over the other. That's I agree. Subjective. Yeah. 
terms of numbers, in terms of statistics, it's objective and it's frustrating. Um, but I think that at the heart of every piece of legislation needs to be humanity, whether that's in yeah. relation to firearm access and safety, whether that's in relation to mental health, whether that's in relation to education, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. When we detach humanity, we are doing people a disservice. So I think, you know, even when you're talking about what better humans look like and what our generation is going to be looking like in the future. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most pressing ways to prioritize humans is to be alongside humans. We need to have um, essential elements of human connection being uplifted and we need to be around people in order to do that. We need to mm-hmm. be around people who are working on the front lines, um, whether you are a person in power, whether you are an adult, whether whatever you're whatever. Role- we just need to be working yeah. alongside one another in a unified communal way. I come from a very collectivistic culture. So I am Middle Eastern American, specifically Iranian American. And that's a lot of what I've had to navigate as well culturally, um, being in the West, right? So, you know, you're talking about how this country often treats things like mental health mm-hmm. it's in this individualistic way, in this autonomous way. Right. And I don't negate individuality or independence, especially as it relates to someone having a power of choice. I get that. I think that's a beautiful part of therapy and a beautiful part of the mental health space. And though we just need to be more unified and more communal because I've, I've seen both sides, right? Being bicultural. And I realize that a lot of what we're missing is that very human-centered and group-centered collectivist unified perspective yes compassion empathy kindness for total strangers yeah i i feel that there you know i think back on stem being adopted i don't even know when that was adopted but that's embedded in the school system and i'm thinking there needs to be mental health curriculum, all kinds of different activities. I'm not saying add more of a workload to teachers who have left the profession, but I'm just saying there needs to be a prioritization that it's not just STEM, that it's at the core mental health. Absolutely. There's a piece of legislation actually that we focused on recently um, when being at the state capitol, and it's California specific, but it can definitely be implemented on national levels as well if there is that federal push. Mm-hmm. And it's SB 509, and it's really encompassing mental health education, not just for students K through 12, but also for those who are working with students. And I think that's another piece we need, yes. right? So not only will students have support in mental health and mental health curriculum, which does bridge those gaps between things like onset of symptoms and diagnosis and treatment. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like that before stage four kind of thing in the mental health and public health space, but it also would provide a way for those working with youth to get mental health trainings and suicide prevention competent trainings. Yes. So I absolutely am on the same page as you. We need more mental health education. And a lot of that can even come from the nonprofit space. We have mental health nonprofits who are going in the school spaces and doing the work that schools are not doing. Mm-hmm. And they're bridging those gaps. And I think that we need the nonprofits to continue doing what they're doing. And we need major support from like a school education level as well. I agree. Um, it's interesting. I remember talking to schools and saying, um, I do a lot of talks on resilience and self-care and 
the power of creativity and initially being shut down. Oh, we do that. We, we do that without even getting to know me. And I thought, you don't know what I do. <laughs> and whatever you do is not working. Mm. It's not working. And I've had students tell me, no, they don't do anything in our school or they give um, mental health week mm-hmm. one time a year. Or, I mean, it just runs the gamut. It's just not um, consistent. And there's so much work that needs to be done. Absolutely. And I also think intent is something that is very obvious. Mm -hmm. And I just think my generation's BS radar is through the roof. (laughs) You know, especially in the mental health realm, we have seen performative activism. Mm -hmm. We have seen corporations commercialize mental health. We have seen schools even use it and weaponize it. And so Mm -hmm. I think we are really fed up. And I think we also know when someone, a corporation, a school, a system is doing something because they care or is doing something because it's something to check off on their list. Yes. And that's another thing that has to be identified as well. Where are you at? Like reflect, Mm -hmm. where are you at? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And Um, I also believe in not reinventing the wheel. So for instance, if a school is wanting to quote unquote, check something off the box and do a mental health initiative, then please don't reinvent the wheel if you don't have that professional expertise or that experience and hand it off to someone who who knows what they're doing. Have a mental yes. health nonprofit that you're partnering with. Have yes. a speaker that's going to come in and share. Yes. Yes. We, this is where it comes down to a unified body, right? Yes. Because- at the end of the day, if we're working towards a common goal, we cannot do it all alone. For instance, when I'm, you know, talking to someone and they're asking me something that's related to mental health, but mental health is really general, right? And it's talking about a specific part of mental health education or advocacy or work that I am not a part of and don't have expertise in, I will happily hand it over to someone else. And that's how we have to really do things, I think. Yes, I agree. I agree. Don't pretend you can do something when it's not your- your skill set. It's freeing. It's freeing to be someone and whether you're a person or a system and know what you can do and know what you can't and Mm -hmm. and hand things off. Right. I agree. It's interesting. And the talks I've done, I've had students reach out to me afterwards, you know, not wanting to, you know, just having, they needed a safe space. They didn't have someone to talk to. And something I said, they felt comfortable and I felt like, great, then I did a great job, you know. Um, Tell me anything else you want to share about your career path, whether it's born this way, if you want to touch on that briefly. Sure. Yeah. Some exciting things that have been happening have been, well, I've loved doing public policy advocacy with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. That's been really cool on the California state level, and it's going to be more on the national level as well soon, which is exciting. Um, Since the White House Youth Action Forum, I have, on a personal level, become best friends with so many of the individuals that I've worked with. Great. And that has been beautiful. And through that, I was able to really... um, connect with the Rare Impact Fund, as well as Born This Way Foundation. So with the Rare Impact Fund, since then, I was able to be a part of their inaugural cohort of mental health ambassadors. And with Born This Way Foundation, I'm currently on their advisory council. So those two roles have been very important for me. And 
from the school-based side, I'm a mental health promotion intern at my university, Point Loma Nazarene University, tiny school on the beach in San Diego, wild, but beautiful, beautiful campus. Um, and we've recently partnered with Active Minds, the national nonprofit. They were also at the White House, and we are having a university chapter, so our school's first student-led mental health university chapter. Um, tonight, we're actually having an event. It's super exciting, just a school event. Um, we're with the Middle Eastern Association. We're doing Middle Eastern Mental Health and Cultural Stigma. And we are doing a partnership with Murad Skincare at the end of the month for Stress Less Week. So I'm really passionate about the school space as well because I just believe if I am involved with things outside of myself that are important to me or even, you know, part of myself outside of school, then I want to do it inside of school as well. So I really think you need to have that um, local level advocacy and have that in addition to any other advocacy you're doing. And so I'm still working remotely for um, the Suicide Prevention Center, and I am a crisis counselor for the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. And I also do um, speaking engagements, so like outreach presentations and suicide prevention trainings. So it's been an exciting time. I am just rejuvenated and I am not really overwhelmed. I mean, I get overwhelmed with like schoolwork and daily tasks. And um, of course, just working with my own mental health as well. There's a lot mm -hmm. with that. You know, thankfully, FaceTime therapy exists. So yes, yes. It's amazing. Um, but when it comes to the mental health work, like sometimes people ask me, is this like a lot? Is this really, you know, are you feeling hopeless? Especially, you know, my focus is youth and my mm -hmm. other focus is suicide prevention. And I'm like, no, this is the most hope I've ever seen being sure. in the mental health space and being in the suicide prevention space. The people I get to interact with, whether they're people I'm working with or people we're serving are just incomparable, incredible humans. And I just love doing what I do as a student. I'm 20 years old. I hope to do this for the rest of my life. And I'm very empowered um, and, and replenished through this work. Well, you are doing purpose-driven work. And it's so exciting. It's so meaningful. And that is a gift to find your lane. Yeah. And you found it a long time ago. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'm, wow. I'm really grateful. And, and we just have to be so grateful, you know, when we are presented these opportunities in life and when they fill our hearts because, you know, I came across Teen Line randomly, totally mm -hmm. randomly. And sometimes it's those random interactions, those random um, parts of life, those moments of the day that bring mm -hmm. us the most purpose and yes. have the most long, long lasting impacts. And I'm grateful for that. Don't you think this helped you the past few years in the pandemic? Is just absolutely you built this foundation and then there it was to hold you. Absolutely. I really believe that this was something that kept me sustained throughout the pandemic. Mm -hmm. A lot of the work that I did in different spaces um was remote. And although that was not the same at all, it still allowed me to do what I love to do. But even in terms of being forced to really take care of myself and really check in with myself and really support my mental health and be on top of those FaceTime therapy calls. It was a lot and it still is a lot. And I do believe a lot of resilience came of that. And, you know, yeah. 
you told me you really care about the resilience and all of those related aspects of life. And, Mm -hmm. and I do too. And even research shows when we are in these times that are so traumatizing, um, on large scales, we also, as communities, whether that's cultural communities, whether that's school communities, whatever systems we're a part of, and whatever individualized interactions we have, we do come out of it with a lot of resilience and a lot of care, and almost this reinforced purpose for working alongside others and supporting ourselves. Sure. I mean, you have created a lifelong routine, basically, that will stay with you, right? Through everything. Yeah, I hope so. And I always will be reaching out for help. I always will be, you know, calling my mom, who's like my best friend on the phone every day and telling her what's up with with my life. I will always be communicating and I will always hopefully be in therapy for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I just love it. So yeah, I, I mean, I do hope that this continues, but also I know that I need all the help I can get. My prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed yet, so we got a long <laughs> way to go. But I, I just am excited. I think when you are walking in something purposeful, every day is just a mm-hmm. gift and every moment. And like, yeah. you know, right now I'm in my university apartment. It's nothing really radical or extreme, but I'm so grateful I have, you know, mm-hmm. have you on Zoom with me. And I have, um, we made these posters for my Active Minds chapter and they say you matter on it and they're right here. And I, I get to look at that. I have my books and these are just really right. cool things that I think the mental health space has taught me, right? Like mindfulness and just being aware and conscious of myself, my reality and Mm -hmm. looking at things in in a realistic perspective. So not in a way of toxic positivity, but also looking at them in a hopeful, optimistic way. Yes, definitely. So we have to wrap up. I've loved this. And I want to just share, where can people find out more about you? Totally. I <laughs> I had a really long four-year social media break, but I um, kind of am just right now on like Instagram. So it's just my full name, which is really confusing. I have to say <laughs> version. So long last name situation. Okay. So um, really just my Instagram, um, okay. LinkedIn. I'm always open to chatting with individuals. Great. Um, and, you know, who knows where else in the future, but for now I'm kind of just in the chill space with that. I love it. And I love to hear that you took a, a break from social media. Oh yeah. Yeah. Why was that? Was it impacting your mental health? It was absolutely impacting my mental health. And I went four years without it. So I got back actually right before the White House because mm-hmm. I was just so excited. And I was yes. like, this is my time to use this as a mental health platform. Definitely. But it was not good for my mental health whatsoever. I think now I'm at a place where I'm so comfortable um, with who I am and I'm so comfortable also with how to use a platform in a healthy way, in a sensitive way, in a balanced way that I'm no, no longer super concerned in the ways that I was, right? So every platform we have, I believe, can be used for harm or for good. And I just think that with my goals of using it for good, I have very different views and a mindset of how to utilize it all together mm-hmm. but I think every everything every timing is right for different individuals and 
for me, this is a good time, but who knows? I might delete my Instagram again <laughs> and you never really know with me, but I think you just have to be so in tune with yourself and what's, what's right with you and what is just not working. Let it go. You if- bet. Yeah. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed getting to know you and you're only in San Diego and I'm in Orange County. So I'd love to meet you in person. So close. Yeah. And I, you're right in between me because I go back and forth from LA to San Diego all the time. So okay. would love to. That would be great. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of Outside the Box. We're spreading knowledge and compassion through podcasts, social events, and resources. Outside the Box is committed to facilitating real conversations about real issues that people struggle with every day. I hope my movement will not only inspire you to seek the help you need, but also help you learn the importance of self-awareness, mindfulness, and self-compassion. Want to be a guest on Outside the Box? Drop us an email at info at otbseries.com. We drop a new episode every Thursday, and you can check out our socials at OTB Series. For more information, visit otbseries.com.